welcome to Pragmatic Live, the podcast for product people. I'm Mark Stiving, a pragmatic marketing instructor and frequent host of this podcast. Today, we're joined by another fascinating guest that I cannot wait to talk with. His name's Ed Kless. Now, many of you know that I listen to tons of podcasts. And a couple of years ago, I ran into a podcast called The Soul of Enterprise. It's hosted by Ed Kless and a guy named Ron Baker, who we had on this podcast about a year ago. It is a phenomenal show. Um, so because I had a personal connection with Ron, he made it first. But two weeks ago, The Soul of Enterprise was about a topic called Value Conversations. And I found it so fascinating. And Ed's passion and knowledge about this topic said to me, we got to get Ed on our podcast. So welcome, Ed. Glad to have you. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be on. You, you, that podcast that I listened to a couple of weeks really did. I, I rarely sit and take notes during a podcast, but I did. It was so good. Wow. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, that's some great material and a, a quick debt of gratitude from me to a guy by the name of Mahan Khalsa, who's mentioned in, in the podcast on a number of number of occasions. He wrote this fantastic book called Let's Get Real and Let's Not Play, where a, a lot of the material that was taken from, at least, at least with regard to having that value conversation. And then I think the really cool part is that Ron and I are able to take his work and, and, and make it real by examples that have happened throughout our careers. So nice. Well, let's see if we can talk about him a little bit more today. But first, I want to hear, can you tell me what is uh, what what does Sage do? Because I know you work for Sage. And yes, I do. How do value conversations play a role there? I have been working for Sage for almost 15 years now. I actually started as a consultant in April of 2003, so my anniversary officially isn't until July, although I was working for the company at, at this point 15 years ago. And Sage is a publisher of software mostly for the for in what is now called the accounting space. We we do both a small business and then uh, startup scale up and, and enterprise level accounting sol solutions. So er from from everything from a business who's just starting all the way on up to a you know large maybe even f low low fortune one thousand company. And my uh, job at Sage is a pretty interesting one. I, I, I as I said hired fifteen years ago and had two responsibilities. One was recruiting new partners into Sage. What we define a partner as anyone who has a relationship with our company on the front side. So this would be people who resell our software, people who consult on our software, mm -hmm. but maybe don't resell, people who are influencers such as accountants and perhaps even some lawyers, but it's mostly CPAs. And then also just some developers, software developers who, who either write stuff directly for ours or integrate with our software. So that's our, our definition of partner. So I was recruiting new partners. That was about half the time. And then my other, uh, other, other half of my job was called partner development, which was this notion that we at Sage wanted to just help all of those business partners, all of those constituencies make their businesses better. So what can we do to do that? And one of the things that came up was just this whole notion of becoming better at pricing. I was introduced to Ron Baker by my boss at the time at Sage, a guy by the name of, of Taylor McDonald, who is now curiously back with Sage because he uh, ended up at, at Intact, which Sage just bought uh, in August <laughs> of last year. So yeah, yeah, it's all it's a it's a, it's a tangled web we weave, right? It is. Um, yep, yep. Uh, but anyway, 
and and Ron and I became friends uh, over over the course of working together, and I became a big advocate of his. Was named a, a senior fellow at the Verisage Institute in 2006, I believe. Might have been a little bit later than that, but. Uh, and uh, we just have had this passion for having this value conversation. And, and along the way, I came across a, this book that I mentioned earlier, Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. And it really just opened my eyes and changed my life to the way that I view things. You know, Ron has been a huge advocate of what's known as value pricing or value led pricing since the, the 90s when he wrote his first book, The Professional's Guide to Value Pricing. And but one of the things that I think was missing was this notion of having a conversation about value. And strangely enough, because really without this ability to have this conversation about value, you can't value price, right? Or value-led price because our definition at the Verisage Institute of a value price is one, a price in which the primary but not sole determining input into the price is the value to the customer, right? So that's the that's the, the that's the definition. That certainly so makes that's, sense. Yeah, yeah. So if that's true, then therefore one must have a conversation about value with the prospective customer before one can price it, because well, that's the definition. <laughs> you at least have to have a way to figure out what that value is, and what better way than talk to the client. Well, yeah, and and here's the thing, it, because we also believe, and this is one of the things that Ron taught me early on, and this gets it gets into some economic theory, but but value is subjective, right? Value value is what the customer says it is. There va value it, it, there is no objective value of anything, besides per, potentially a human life, right? Human life probably ha it has or does have I think objective value, but other than that. There's nothing that has objective value. Gold is valuable because we agree it has value. Uh, you know, and in fact, this to this more recently, I'll give a, an example that's that's happening right now. This whole notion of what makes Bitcoin valuable. Yep. Right. And when you ask people what makes Bitcoin valuable, one of the answers that you get from really smart people, by the way, is that well, because it takes so much electricity to mine the bitcoins, <laughs> right? That that therefore that's why it has value. And what's so this is this is the modern day equivalent of of the, the the labor theory of value, right? Yes. And the reality is is bitcoins have value because we agree they have value. <laughs> that's that's the only reason. Yes, and, yes. And, and and therefore and therefore miners are willing to invest in the cost. So this is another big it, huge influence on my my thinking is the the notion that prices do not come from costs prices come from value and but rather than that even further than that prices justify the expenditure of costs and get having people understand that notion is extraordinarily difficult yep. because most people see it the other way now, I agree with you 100%. Now, I use a slightly different definition for value, although it's not, I don't think it's dramatically different than what you guys say. And mm -hmm. I define value is what the buyer is willing to pay. Yeah, that's that's an economic definition of value, right? What is, it's actually from Steve Landsberg. Steve Landsberg, I think, is the one who developed that. But but notice that it's actually, value is actually higher than that, right? So it, it, value is not what is the customer willing to pay. 
the the cost the, the the value is is the is the thing that's higher than that. So if I I might value something at a hundred dollars, right? I'm willing to pay ninety for it. And so there is even a difference between those two things, right? You you value stuff more than what you're willing to pay. You know, I'd have to think about that because I could. I guess it depends on whose side you're going to use value for. Because if I'm the firm, I would say the value of my product is what my customer is willing to pay. And if I'm the customer, I would say I probably have value it more. Otherwise, I wouldn't have paid that. That's correct. That is because because what is and this is one of the great unseens. This is this goes back to uh, another economist by the name of Frederick Bastiat, who said it's about that which is unseen in the economy where value gets created. So here's the thing in every transaction and even indeed, if you unpack the word transaction, you learn something because trans is a prefix that means beyond. Right. So beyond the action. So there's something else going on beyond uh, beyond the action of this exchange that's happening. And that thing that's happening is this this creation of value, hopefully on both sides. So in a transaction, there are actually three variables, not two, right? There's the cost, price, and value, and those and those three things. So if you think about it, price is actually, uh, and I think this is uh, Donald Boudreaux who says this. The, the price is actually the the negotiation between buyer and seller between the difference in what in cost and value. It's the negotiation of a, of the dispute between the assessment of value because the 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 firm quote values it at their cost, whereas the 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 buyer values it at something higher than that, and we have to negotiate a difference, negotiate our difference in that. Yep. No, I think that's absolutely right. And so every transaction is win win, or the transaction wouldn't occur. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The, the the whole zero sum game mentality, which makes me insane, because there. Are so many people who who believe this, including including business people. Huh. So I got to say, first off, I'm having a great time so far. We could sit here and talk about this all day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, but I do want to move this into value conversations because I find sure, that sure. topic so important and so underutilized outside of everything I hear you guys talk about. Yeah, no, it, it is. It's it in. Sometimes it's a practical nature. You know, one one of the, the great things that professionals have a distinct advantage over every, everything else in the economy, as you say, is that we get a chance to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with just about everyone who wants to buy from us, right? Yes. And look, the airlines would love to do this. The airlines would love to sit you down and have an interview with you to, to figure out why you're traveling. So, Mark, why are you traveling today? Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, you're going to you're going to make money. Huh. Really? OK. So how much did you get for that engagement that you have to go fly to? Right. They, they would love to be able to do that, but they can't because the, the just the scale at which that they participate. So they have to guess. Right. So for the longest time, they use different things. They, they, they used to guess on things like, oh, Saturday night stays. Yep. Right. And they were saying, OK, well, if people are willing to spend a Saturday night, they're not a business traveler. They must be. And therefore, they're it's it's actually called price discriminating. They're they're they're, they're discriminating, discriminating based on the fact that, hey, you're not having a Saturday night stay. They don't do that anymore. They use a thing that's called yield management, which is an extraordinarily sophisticated pricing tool developed by a guy by the name of Bob Cross, 
with, I believe, United Airlines first. Um, it might have been American. But anyway, it, but they would love to have the value conversation, right? But they can't because of the sheer scale. Professionals, though, have this opportunity to have this value conversation with each and every prospect. And sadly, it is often wasted by the professional on having a conversation about costs, not value. Yes. So before we take it outside the realm of professionals, can you just walk me through what a value conversation looks like for a professional? Because, you know, that should be relatively straightforward. And then we'll try to apply this to a product. Sure. And and it actually does apply to product. And here's here's one of the, the neat things, Mark, that I think my work at Sage it, it has a um, a, a cool component to it. it. Most of our partners, let's take our reselling partners who are, who are reselling or they're not reselling anymore because we put it in the cloud. It's a subscription basis. So they're, they're licensing, right? Um, but, but there's always, there always has been, at least in my world, a product and a service component to what many Sage partners do, right? Mm-hmm. But the value conversation is the same, Right. Because it, it but and, and it can and can come in let, let's let's call it two different formats. One, the the the, the prospect can come. Hey, you know, I, I really need. Um, no, let me use one of my, my favorite all time examples because this is the the thing that that set me on this quest to understand value way back in my career in the in the mid nineties. I was doing a uh, a demo of, um, of of a of a software package. And uh, back then, a demo was like an all-day thing. It was like we kept showing you features until you like basically said, "Please stop talking. We'll buy from you if you just shut up." Yes. But yeah, yeah, it was it was really not a good thing. But anyway, about you know two thirds of the way through this thing, the, the the guy his name was Evan, by the way. He's he 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 was like Ed Koch. He stood up in the middle of the meeting. He said, "Ed, stop, stop." He says, "This is really great, but I kind of assumed that your accounting system could produce an accounts payable check." I just, you didn't really need to show me that, right? <laughs> here's, he's, he's like, here's what I need. I need a report that shows me inventory turns by item category. Can you do that? Right? So I thought that this would be a good opportunity for me to fire up my crystal reports prowess. I don't know if any of your listeners remember the crystal reports. I think it's still around, but you know, I'm right out of joining tables and I'm making it red, white, and blue because it's near the 4th of July and you know, so bang, I produced this report with the sample data. We get this deal and it's a great deal. It's, it's, um, it was $30,000 in software and $30,000 in consulting. Huge. It was a, probably the largest deal that our company had ever done to date. Okay. And I'm thinking I'm a genius, except six months later, I'm out at this company and Evan throws his arm around me and says, Hey, Ed, dude, remember that report that you gave us? I'm like, what, Evan, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, the report that you gave us, the inventory report, because I had to give it to him. Remember, I did it during the demo. Right. Right. Couldn't even put it on my timesheet. <laughs> <laughs> right. So he says, well, we've just been able to figure out Ed, that because we've had access to this information now, we are going to increase our sales this year by 40 percent. They were roughly a 10 million dollar company on a run rate for 14. Mm. So what was that report worth to him? Four million bucks. What did I get? Zippo, right? I'm an idiot. I'm not a genius. I'm an idiot. 
But you're like, well, you wouldn't have gotten the deal. All right, but here's the, here's the deal. If I had if I had done this, which is what I'm going to talk to you about this value conversation first. If I had done this instead of of going down the path of giving him the report there, because at that time I was a solutionist. In fact, I still am to this day a recovering solutionist. It's hard. Yeah. It's a, that's another Khalsa phrase, solutionist. <laughs> and I love to solve people's problems. It makes me feel good. It gives me a high. I can feel the adrenaline about to flow, right? So when somebody has a problem, I want to fix it because it makes me feel really good. It's also a really expensive habit. I often quip that I would, if I didn't have the solutionist problem and instead, you know, was addicted to cocaine, I would be more financially wealthy than I am today. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think that's exactly true, but it's a good line. Probably not. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, so I, uh, th 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 I was the solutionist. So I wanted to pro provide the solution. So this is what I should have said. I should have said this, Evan, thanks for asking. We do custom reports for people all the time. In fact, it's something we're really good at. However, what we found is that oftentimes when people ask for a customization, there are other ways of getting that information out of the system that don't require a customization. So would it be okay if we talked first for a little bit about why it is you think you need this information? What I just did there, Mark, is what Kalsa calls move off the solution, right? Hmm. I pivoted away from having a conversation about the solution which is every fiber of my being wants to do, right? And instead I pivoted to talking about his problem. So he asked you for a feature mm-hmm, and you said, yes, but. I said, I said I, well, it's, it's a little, so the, if you break it down, I, the way that Kalsa and myself, we, we teach it is, is really four things. No, number one is listen intently. Okay. You really got to focus on listening and there's a whole a bunch of exercises you can do in that. But let's, let's just take that for as a given, we're going to listen intently. Step two is to assuage, right? To, so let them know that they've asked an appropriate question. Thanks for asking. We do stuff like this all the time. You've come to the right place, hmm. right? So let give, give them a little feedback that the question that they're asking is an appropriate one. Right. Yep. Then there's the then there's the move that subtle subtle move, which was, however, oftentimes when people ask for a customization, they really don't need one because there's other ways of getting that information. By the way, that's that's 100% true. I'm not lying at all. Right. And then the fourth the fourth step. So remember, step one is listen. Step two is assuage. Step three is that move. Move. And then step four is, and this is really important. It's called a close, but it's not a close like close the sale. It's close as in ask a closed probe question. Closed probe question is one designed to solicit a yes or no answer. It begins with can, would, should, do, will, right? Something like that is. So would it be okay if we talked for a little bit about either why, why you think you need this, what the results would be if you had this, what is the evidence that you have that not having this information is a problem? But notice that I first ask it as a would it be okay if before yes. I start to ask those. And that is the is is one of the other critical steps that professionals lead up. They jump right into the why. 
They just, so why do you think you need this? And then you get pushback. If you, if you make the subtle shift of first asking permission, because really what I'm doing is I'm asking permission not to answer his question. Yes. Right? <laughs> and, and if you jump to the why, it feels kind of in your face. It does feel in your face. And I've had people argue with me about this. Oh, no, no, no. I'm really – I'm telling you, I'm telling you, <laughs> it feels in your face to the prospect. Yeah. Right? But when you ask it, would it be okay if – and you ask it as a closed probe question, 99 out of 100 people say, yeah, sure. <laughs> Happy to talk about that. Okay, and so this is how we move from a client asking us for a feature or a custom something or do you solve this problem? It's it's a way for us to get into, hey, can I ask you why this is important? Mm -hmm. And now we're going to go start the value conversation. That's correct, because now now that we've moved off the solution, now now and once they say yes, we'd be happy to talk about that. You, you the next question is already kind of already set up, so. Why do you think you need this? And so there's a couple different things. There's and I won't give go through all of them, but there's what's called a clarification move, right? Clarification move is when you're trying to clarify what they said. When they, if they say something like, "Hey, we need um, we, we, security is really important to us. Does your system do that?" Right? You want to say something like, uh, "Yes, but 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 what we found is that oftentimes when people ask about security, they mean vastly different things. Would it be okay if I asked you a couple of questions about what you think you mean when you say security? Yep. Right. So of clarification. There's also uh, moves where you talk talk about evidence or impact. So um, in in my example, what what is what is the evidence that you have, Evan, that the that giving getting this information would help you make better business decisions? Right. And I love that word evidence and evidence. Right. What's the evidence? Yep. And then that's where we can get then get into the value conversation because the the and, and as Kalsa then positions it, he's like, now you're set up to listen for what he calls measurable words. <laughs> something was gonna something is gonna come out of the following conversation that's measurable. They're gonna talk about cost, they're gonna talk about efficiency they're going to talk about productivity they're going to talk about quality they're going to talk about customer satisfaction they're going to talk about revenue right they're, they're going to talk about at some point in that conversation is going to be something that is measurable and Kalsa says you should have a measurable alert go off in your head <laughs> <laughs> measurable alert right okay and so, you, so you asked me yep. why i think this is important and practically yep. the answer to that question almost has to have a measurable word in it yeah Al almost has to yep. Almost has to, right? Yeah. Again, and, and again, you, uh, what is the evidence? I love ev What is the evidence that you have that this is a problem? Well, the evidence is we're not getting our orders shipped on time. Bang. Yep. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> right. Right. So That's, sounds uh, measurable. Yeah, sounds measurable because it is measurable. Yeah. Right. It is measurable. And then once you get something measurable, then you drop into what Kalsa calls the five golden questions. Right. And you, there's no other end. You just got to memorize them. Right. The, fir the first question is, how do you measure it? So how do you measure that now? Right. Mm -hmm. the, I'm just going to go through the five questions and then we'll go back and give an example. So how do you okay. measure it now? What is it now? What's the what is the what is the number? Right. That's how you measure it. What is it now? What do you expect it to be? What do you want it to be? What do you think it should be if you had a solution that met your needs? 
right? That's the third question. Fourth mm -hmm. question, what is the value, hint, hint, what is the value of the difference between those two things, right? And then the fifth question is over what period of time are we looking at, right? For most companies, that's a year. Most, not all, but most. Uh, but I often don't right. don't default as a year always because some people look at it on a three to five year basis and it's, yep. it, 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 so whatever is whatever is appropriate to them. Okay, I I absolutely love those questions and obviously number four is the one I love the most. But you got to mm -hmm. get through the first three to get to number four. Yep, yep. So so how do you measure it? And then there's two possible responses to how do you measure it, right? <laughs> one is they give you a measure. Right. They say, you know, productivity, they say um, errors per thousand. Uh, they say net promoter score. Right. The other answer that they sometimes give is they sometimes say, well, we don't. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> we, we don't measure it. <laughs> right. So th th so there's two possibilities here. One is to to uh, to uh, possibly bring up another consulting engagement. Say, really, you don't measure quality right now. No. Why don't, why don't we do a little mini consulting engagement for you where we help you develop some quality metrics, right? And we'll get to learn your company. You get to learn us. You, you'll pay us, you know, small and we'll just, we'll just do this little quality. We'll, we'll come out and we'll give you some quality metrics that you guys can begin to measure and look at, right? So it's a consulting opportunity. But the other thing to do, if you don't feel that that's appropriate or, or you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can then do what Casa calls peel the onion, Okay, so um, you think this is going to improve your quality? Yes. How do you measure quality? We don't. All right. If quality were to improve, what would happen? Well, if quality were to improve, our our customers would be happier. And 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 measurable alert. Yep. Right. <laughs> How do you measure customer satisfaction now? We don't. Really, if your customers were happier. <laughs> What do you believe the end result would be? See how I alter it a little bit? Yes, yes. Well, if if our customers were happier, we think they'd buy more. Okay, now we're golden. Right. By the way, it, when they say something that's revenue-based, it's the one time you can skip the first question because if, actually if you ask the first question, you sound like an idiot, right? How do you measure <laughs> revenue? <laughs> well, we call the finance guy. Yeah, no, you know, we had the invoices up at the end of every period. Right. right? <laughs> Right. So, no, you can't. So that's the one where they do say revenue. You can skip it. So you can be like, OK, so what's what is it now? What's the revenue now? And it might be the revenue for this product, for this service, for this customer segment. It's not not the, their revenue for the whole company. Right. So what what's the revenue now? What do you think it would be? And this is another great phrase. Assume a solution. Assume we provide a solution that exactly meets your needs. What do you think would happen? What do you think it would be? What would it go up by? 1%, 5%, 10%? What do you think? Well, I don't know. Take What's your best guess? Well, I don't think it would go up at all. Okay. Then I don't think we should talk about this anymore. Not important. Not important. Right? And then sometimes you get, oh, no, no, no. It is important. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, then, <laughs> well then, then what do you think? <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. So, so I find this absolutely amazing and awesome but we, we only have a few minutes left and i want to apply yeah. it to products because this is this is the tricky part in my mind or maybe in the world uh, and and the two times i could see us trying to apply it to products one mm -hmm. would be salespeople going out and selling and that yep. seems really obvious because i could do exactly what you just said mm -hmm. 
The harder part is I'm a product manager and I'm trying to decide what feature, what are the new features I should put in. Okay, I'm a Sage product manager. There I'm you trying go. to figure out which new features I want to put into our software. And I'm going to go out and do value conversations before I commit my engineers to doing the work. Mm-hmm. How does this differ? Or have you thought through that? Yeah, I don't think it differs much at all, right? I mean, especially if we know if we know the feature set that we're looking at. And and first of all, and this is my bias, uh, and it, it's it's it probably goes against conventional wisdom. Wisdom, but I, I am more interested in having conversations from a feature set standpoint with current customers to see how I can improve them than I am in talking about feature set that's gonna gonna not lose me deals in the future. Okay. All right. We, we could uh, discuss that later, but, but I'll go with you. Let's go. All right. Uh, yeah. And, and, and then the, and the rationale is simply this, it's it, the, the cost of acquisition is so high that you, that, and nobody takes that into account. Sure. Absolutely. Right. And so right. the last so, thing we want to do so is lose customers. Yeah. So, so, so we're going to talk to, talk to current customers and we're going to, we're going to have this, this, this value conversation and say, okay, so if we put in feature X, right, what's that going to do for you? What, what happens? What, what's going to happen? What, you know, what's the measurement? So it's the same thing. What, what will this improve? How is it going to improve it? By what? Okay, so salespeople and customers are always coming to ask us for new features. Mm -hmm. We get to turn around and have this exact conversation about that feature. Yep. And then and then once I get asked by that client, then I can go ask a whole bunch of other customers and now I'm getting data instead of a data point. Yep. Yeah. It, and but here's the thing. This is the and this is why it's and and why larger companies have to do it different ways because of the sheer transaction volume is, um, you know, you could have the same feature that has zero value to one customer and, you know, millions of dollars of value to another. Right? Right. That's so, price segmentation or discrimination again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, well, it doesn't matter to us. We don't care. That's not going to help us at all. Right? So so the, the question is just try to understand the market, which, again, it would be another reason why you would look at, at, at current customers first. Right. To see how can you significantly improve their lives? I'd rather hold on to them. Right. Um, so but anyway, so that so that I, I definitely think that this whole value conversation absolutely applies in, in this case. Have you ever taught have you taught value conversations to your product managers at Sage? Have I personally? No, <laughs> no, not trying to put um, you on the spot here, Ed. <laughs> no, 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 then that's fine. It's just, just you know, just because my, my role is working with our partners, not our internal PMMs. Right. Right. Um, but but it, were I to, I would certainly go through this process. Um, it, you know, I, I've I, I've seen us. We do it in different ways. I've seen I've seen surveys go out, you know, where it's, it's the it's the you have a thousand dollars to spend. Where would you put your money and send that yep. out to the, you know, your customers? Right. That that kind of weighted average stuff. Yep. Um, yeah, you know, so I think that's that's clearly a good way. But the, you know, the better way is obviously having the one-on-one conversations with as many people as you possibly can. Look, you know, the the larger your organization, the more customers that you have, the more you have to infer value, right? Like like the airlines and uh, like like um, hotels, right? Um, you know, hotels when they t- t- when they when they go to price stuff, 
they, they know ahead of time that the NCAA tournament is going to be in San Antonio the first week in April. Yep. <laughs> right. So they're taking in all of these external factors in into into play before they they begin to set price, and but but they're they're still get they're still guessing at it. They're still doing their best job to guess and infer it from what they know about what's happening. Okay, I I am a true believer, Ed. There's no doubt. Um, <laughs> and and just Good. so the just so that you know, I teach product people all the time. That's my job. And, uh-huh. and I will make sure they start thinking about value conversations. I think this is just a huge, huge topic. It is a huge topic. And, and, and it's something that it, 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 it is sort of like what's that line about was it Chinese checkers or something? You know, it's five minutes to learn a lifetime to master. Yes. Right. It, it, it's it's this it is like that. I mean, I, as I mentioned, I'm a recovering solutionist because I still struggle with it. Okay, so my commitment to you is I'm going to go have a value conversation with somebody this week. I have no idea who, when, or how, but somebody this week. I'm having a value conversation. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, so Ed, I, I thought that was amazing. Uh, if people want to reach out to you or get a hold of you, how do they do that? Well, a couple different ways. First, you mentioned earlier the Soul of Enterprise radio show, so please visit thesoulofenterprise.com. You can see the, all of the shows that we've previously done. We're getting near our 200th episode, so we're pretty pretty excited about that. But as far as me personally, I'm real easy to find. Just Google search up Ed Kless, E-D dot space, K-L-E-S-S as in Sam. I am the only Ed Kless in the world. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's called differentiation. My yeah. parents clearly – did a good job. Yeah. So I wouldn't have guessed it. If you'd asked me if you were the only Ed Kless in the world, I would not have guessed yes, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. That, that I can, tr- I mean, I, and I, I'm vain enough to track it on a regular basis. I actually try to find it though. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. To our listeners, I hope you enjoyed that half as much as I did. Uh, we'd always love to hear from you. We welcome your questions, suggestions, um, especially any compliments you have for Ed or even for me. Uh, please send your comments to experts, at pragmaticmarketing.com. Also, don't forget to join us for the next episode of Pragmatic Live.